said. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. So good to be with you. If you have youth here, 6th through 12th grade, go back there with Pastor Jaron and uh, his wife, Brittany, and uh, head on downstairs. If you're not in that age bracket, you're stuck with me. Let's do this. I love you. It's good to be with you. I am Pastor Dave. If you didn't notice or recognize me, it is me. All right. It is all about change, right? And here it is. Cut all my hair off. Not all of it, but it felt like all of it. Uh, as we're here today, I just want you to know I love you. I hope and pray that you guys had a, a blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, you know God is good, isn't he? All right. So I was sharing with the first service. And, and you guys that are here, if this is the only service you're a part of, the second service here, uh, first off, you guys are doing amazing. And I see growth in the service and in your worship and everything. It's amazing. And I love you. It's so awesome. Thank you for just embracing what God's doing. So I want to share with you because if you're not familiar with the 915 service, uh, we have um, a deaf, uh, I'm, she's not deaf, she's an interpreter for the deaf. She does American Sign Language and she's part of our worship and the message and she does such a phenomenal job, uh, Lisa. Uh, we are blessed to have her and that's just something new that God has been bringing in. Yeah, it's so cool. You need to check it out. So we want to reach that community, you know, it's all about the people that need Jesus and reaching out to them. And so, um, yeah, it's just amazing. So my wife volunteers, like many of you guys serve somewhere. Some of you served in the last service. That's why you're in here. She's in the cafe with a lot of other people that are serving in there. And so she doesn't get to, they can hear us and they sing in there and stuff, but they're not like part of what's going on out here in a personal, tangible way. And so I told her, you know, you need to watch this because, I mean, it's such an incredible blessing to watch that happen where someone is communicating uh, in worship and God's word uh, through, you know, just movements. And uh, so we went home last Sunday after church and we were watching it. And uh, we watched it specifically, the worship service, just to watch Lisa. And we sat there in our... <laughs> In our living room on the couch, and we were just crying. It was like, God, you're so amazing. And the Spirit of God filled our living room in worship. And we weren't even singing or doing anything. It was just being in his presence and watching God communicate to people. And it was a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you to check it out. God gave me something more than that as we were sitting there watching that. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history behind about what I'm about to say in the service. So years ago, I was raised in a traditional um, legalistic holiness church. Now, they preach Jesus, so thankful. But it was uh, Jesus and you had to look a certain way and not a certain way. You had to dress a certain way, different than the world. No matter what was going on out there, you needed to look different because that's how you were made holy is how you looked and different things that you didn't do and stuff, you know? And so in the church that I grew up in, um, from my childlike perception, it was like pretty dead I remember one guy when I was a real little guy, uh, a blind man that came to the church, and he was very vocal in the service, but he was about the only one. And every once in a while, he'd just shout to the Lord, like, woo! You know, and I was like, oh, Sammy Flowers is getting blessed over there, right? But nobody else did anything. And it was like really weird for someone to do that in the service. It was. And so as we grew up, and then God saved me, I was saved in that church, thank God for that gospel message that came, and then I heard Jesus in that. But see, then something happened inside of me because I had made myself into an introvert, as most of you know. I've shared that with you. I had made life choices. The only way I was not an introvert is when I would uh, self-medicate myself with drugs or alcohol, and then I was an obnoxious extrovert. 
Um, for real. I mean, I was a jerk. I'm surprised someone didn't punch my lights out because I was like really stupid a lot of times. And uh, God's grace protected me because, I mean, I'm a skinny guy, so I could get hurt, you know. And so I'm grateful that he was like, you dummy, you know, you, you can get yourself killed over here. So just shut up and stand there. I, I want you to know that because, you see, once I got saved and God came into my life, there was this like, oh, you know, this welling up inside of me that I didn't know what to do with because it's like I'm like, you know, this kind of person and the church was that kind of person. So, like, we didn't stand for any songs, and if someone, like, leading the worship would ask everybody to stand for one of the songs, like, you can't sing Standing on the Promises of Christ My Lord while you're sitting down, right? So, like, that's an old hymn if some of you don't know that. So when we would sing that song, they would say, okay, everybody stand up and let's sing this, and there would be a, a, several groans out loud, which maybe was because they were old, I don't know, but in my young mind, I perceived it to be they were griping because they had to stand up to sing about standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. And so as I looked at that, and I grew up in that, and then God saved me, I was in this place where it was like, ooh, I don't know how to conduct myself because I feel something inside of me that wants to jump out. When I'm singing these songs, like that song we sang, I love that song. This is my song, this is my story, this is my song, where it touches on all the old hymns that we sang when we first believed because I sang all those. And it just blesses my heart, and I love that song. And so like inside of me, I can't hold myself still. I'm like wanting to move around and do stuff. I want to shout and praise God, you know? And yet the church I was growing up in, if you did something like that, man, they were like, whoa, dude, you've been way too charismatic Pentecostal. We need to pray that out of you. You know what I mean? Like that's what the perception was and that's what it was inside my head. And so while I wanted to worship the Lord, I was trying to contain myself. I was. I had a lot of self-discipline taught myself by the way I needed to conduct myself, so I would just like hold that in. But man, it was just bubbling inside of me because I didn't want to perceive, be perceived as something I wasn't, and I didn't want to put forth the wrong image of God in my worship. And so I want you to know I, uh, God set me free. I went to Promise Keepers. Some of you may remember that uh, great ministry that took place. There was a move of God that swept our country for men. Continued, it needs to continue today. I'm not saying everything about them was right, but I'm going to tell you God used that ministry to help transform who I am. As a man of God, as a husband, as a pastor, and as a worshiper of the living God, absolutely used that ministry to change me. And so this is how one step took place. I was in the Pontiac Silverdome. We talked about the lions last week. We're not this week. Uh, but we were in the, that's the house of the lions, the old one before Ford's Field. And we went there and we had 72,000 men in that stadium. It was incredible. And we were in worship in that place. And just saying, I'm going to tell you how I was up there looking around. So I would look through the whole group of people and you could pick out, those are the Episcopalians, those are the Pentecostals, those are the Baptists, those... <laughs> From my perch in the, in the upper seats, I could see them all. Because as we were singing, some of them were like this and not wanting to even look around because they didn't want to see these people that were acting out a little bit. Everybody was doing their own thing, so you could see it all through the stadium, you know, like all of this was going on. And I was one of them that was looking at them all too. And then we started to sing Holy, Holy, Holy in acapella. They had all the music stop and just all the men's voice, 72,000 men singing Holy, Holy, holy. 
And it was like, man, the Spirit of God fell over that entire stadium. And I was standing there, lost now from all the judgmental view of all the, you know, people. And I was right there with God. And he was like, lift your hands, Dave. And I was like, uh. (laughs) I had never lifted my hands in worship. You know, never. We didn't do that. Because if you put your hand up, people were like, oh, do you want something? (laughs) Bathroom's right back there on the right. You know, and if you did two of them, they were like, oh, dear God, he's gone Pentecostal on us. We need to pray for him. So, you know, you didn't lift your hands. But the Lord definitely spoke to me in that presence. I mean, it was like we were in the presence of the living God. And he was just like, lift your hands. Well, there's this battle happening inside of me. In my mind, it was like, ah, if I do, they're going to think I'm one of them. The people I had been looking at and thinking about them, they're going to think I'm one of them. That was what was said loud in my head. And I was like, Lord, you know, if I do that, see, I already had those introverted tendencies, so I was thinking, if I lifted my hands, people are going to look at me. And I know all the people that are with me are going to look at me because they're like, dude, what is going on with you? Because we don't do that. So that whole war was happening inside of me, and there was no question. The Spirit of God was like, lift up your hands. And so, you know, I started with one, you know, because (laughs) it's like I'm doing it, you know. But he did say plural. And so it was like I had to bring out my second hand. I'm going to tell you, I probably didn't put them up this high, but they were up, all right, you know. Like a, like a Christian praise, right? Maybe nobody will notice, God, if I'm like this, you know? No, God was just like, and when my hands were going up, seriously, I'm telling you the truth, man. When my hands started to go up, it was like the Spirit of God just like fell on me. And it was like I created a funnel. That's what I tell people when I raise my hands. I want all of it. I don't want to be like, oh, just give me a little. I want all of it. And it was like the Spirit of God fell over me like crazy. And when it fell on me, I'm telling you that everyone in that room disappeared. I could hear them. I could hear, holy, holy, holy. But I was with the Lord, man, and he was just like, there you go. Amazing. All right, now I'm telling you, yeah, it's awesome, man. God's amazing. So now I can't keep myself still. You already know that. Like, I'm not a dancer, that's obvious too, but I don't care. I can't stand still and I'm worshiping the Lord and he's amazing and he's done so much for me. So the reason I'm sharing that with you is that as we sat there watching the worship service, I sit up in the front because I'm easily distracted and I don't want to be distracted in my worship. And so I sit up to the front on purpose so that I can kind of block out that same feeling. I don't want anybody to like have any influence on what I'm doing. I want to be with God. I want to worship him. I don't get on the platform like some pastors, and I don't care if they do. This is Dave. I don't do that. Because if I sat up on the platform during worship and I looked out, I'd be like, I know your seat's empty here because I know where y'all sit. And then my mind's like, where are they at? I should probably text them. I know they're not in church today, so I wonder if they're sick or if they're doing something. No, yeah, so I don't need any of that, right? So I'm standing down there looking at that screen or up here at this screen, singing the words to the Lord. So why would I tell you all that? Because... When we were watching the service last week, and Lisa stands right here on this little blue X, and she's doing her interpretive stuff, sometimes the camera's back there focusing in, sometimes it's this camera, sometimes it's the walking around camera, and I was like, oh, wow. 
I thought everybody was doing what I'm doing. Not that you have to. You understand? But I'm saying it was a 915 service. So when I saw that, I saw a lot of people just standing there like this while we were doing worship. And I was like, wow, God, we need to be set free here, obviously. We need some people to understand that it's okay to engage God and to be free with it. Not that you have to express yourself by raising your hands or dancing around. Some of you should not. All right? You know, we, we want to do what God tells us to do and to be engaged with him. But I'm telling you that I feel like inside of me, and as I'm sharing with you, that there's, a, um, there's an aspect of surrender in worship, right? It has to be. It's not like you have to get rid of the voices, the influences of people. You have to like see like, man, we're, we're not singing songs to us. We're not singing to the worship. They're not singing. We're singing and we're worshiping the creator of the universe. And so when you do that, I mean, there's times to be quiet and, and, and bow your head. And there's times to celebrate. I just want to encourage you to do that. Like, as the spirit of God moves you, move. Don't hold back. Be what God has called you to be and worship him the way he's designed you to worship him. And it's not about the way you feel or you're comfortable, just so you know. It's not. I want to leave that alone because we need to get to where God's taking us, but it's something that God definitely stirred my heart about, and I want to share with you. I want you to be free. I want you to talk back. This, this service, I want you to know right now, you guys have completely transformed since we first started the service. It is, because before, when we started the 11 o'clock service, like you rarely hear somebody even clapping or saying anything, and now you guys are loud, and you're just about as loud as the first service, and there's almost twice as many people. You're doing amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It is. I love it. It's okay. You know, it really is okay to be out loud and like when I'm preaching and stuff. Now, when I go and listen to a pastor preach, I'm not a vocal listener. I'm not. Like I told you, I'm like easily distracted. So I'm like completely toned in. And if that's the way you are, great. But if you're a person that can say stuff, say it, man. Not like shut up and go home, pastor. But I'm saying like engage with the, the message. All right. So like, let's get into it. Let God do his thing and let's do this, man. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, five days last week reading or listening to God's word? Yeah. Did you spend some time alone with him this week with no agenda of your own? Yeah. You know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Yeah. Always gets quieter there. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? Share Jesus with someone this week? Yes. Invite someone to church with you today? Yes. You can do that, you know. We have cards right here. You can do that. Yeah, let them know. We're not a perfect church. We're not a perfect people. We're here because we know we need God's help, and he's provided that help through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are designing a shirt with that logo and statement on it, and we're going to be having that out soon. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, Kim and I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. I uh, love being with the family, like being in that place and just feeling the presence of God. Also know that if you were with your family, you probably have some, like, uh, uh, maybe some reciprocal damage or something, you know, like, because, like, most family, all families are dysfunctional to a certain extent. Um, you know, we all are. We think we're normal until, you know, we discover we're not, but we're not. 
And we're not a normal church. That's what I mean by we're not a perfect church. We're not normal. It's okay. We are who we are. I'm not saying it's okay to be abnormal, but it's good to be what God wants us to be, no matter what the world thinks of us. So I hope that you had fun. And as we're moving into this Advent season, as you can see, all of the beautiful decorations around the church and the lobby, everything looks amazing as we're preparing ourselves for this incredible season. Um, I want to encourage you that as we step into this Advent season, that you would, like, some Christians think it's like their mission and call to try and make sure that everybody knows that the calendar that says Christmas was once a pagan holiday and that we shouldn't be adopting that day. Just stay with me for a second, okay? And, um, you know, and then there's no, like, place that tells us in the Bible to celebrate Christmas, and there's this, and there's this, and we don't know what time, so let me just help all of us get on the same page here going forward, right? So, yes, it was a pagan holiday. Yep, it was. Yes, it is the day that the days begin to get longer, and there is more light as it permeates the world, which is the reason that date was selected to celebrate the light coming into the world. Because, see, the world was a dark place, and then light was brought into it through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the church fathers selected that date for that very purpose, that we would see that the light was overcoming the darkness going forward from that moment. Okay? So it's really a beautiful thing when you think about it like that. And so there's so many things that we can celebrate that God did this for us. Instead of going over there and telling everybody you shouldn't be doing this, how about if we just transform how we do it? And that we celebrate the fact that God came to us in the flesh. The creator of the universe became one of us so that he could defeat sin and death and the grave and give hope and life to you and I to bring light into the darkness. It's like church, we above all people should be celebrating that fact, right? We should. So let's make our Christmas about that. Let's make this Advent season all about Jesus and the fact that he did do this. So no matter what you have going on in your life, and there's a lot going on, I get it. No matter how you were raised, no matter what you were taught, no matter how dysfunctional you and your family are, let's just make the focus the gift of Jesus Christ. We know this isn't the exact date in the calendar, all right? We know that. It doesn't matter. What we're doing is celebrating the fact that God did this for me. He did this for you. And let's celebrate that fact. And I'm not, ah, let's, nope, I'm not even going to say that. Let's just keep going. Let's see what God wants to do with this, all right? So God loves you and me, and that's what this season is all about, the fact that he would make himself one of us. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities to endure and grow, and maybe that was one of them for you. But the Word of God tells us that we need to endure, persevere, and grow to the challenges that come our way, Right? So let's read some scripture here about this entire thing that God did for us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. May you be filled with joy. Church, we're talking to the church right now, right? May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Amen. So there's joy and there's thankfulness when you live in the light, right? That's what this is all about. There was darkness, right? Listen, it's the next verse. For he has rescued us 
from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedoms and forgave our sins. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. All right. Let's stay with it. This is what it says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. See, church, this is the good news. See, Jesus Christ is God. And God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is God. The Word of God tells us right here that He is the visible image of the invisible God. He came to us. He was there in the beginning. He didn't just magically appear at Bethlehem. He always was. He just appeared at Bethlehem as a human being like me and you. Because there was no other way for you and I to ever have a relationship with him. Unless he became one of us and paid the price for our sins. And the word of God tells us this, right? He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. See, people like, they visit, they worship creation instead of the creator. And he's like, he's supreme over all that. Look farther. Look deeper. There is God. Let's keep reading. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You see that, church? He became flesh. He wasn't like in his godness. God became flesh in a physical body. And he paid the price for you and I. And it's through his death that you and I can experience life in and through him. The Word of God says, as a result, He has brought you into His own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. That should blow you away right there. We're talking about God here. We're saying that He did this for us so that we could stand right now completely transparent, holy, blameless, and without a single fault. You. You. Church, you know you. Right? Look in the mirror. You. If you are a child of the living God, you've been saved, you've received this incredible gift that he's given. This is the way God sees you. That should blow you away. That should humble us. Maybe we shouldn't be applauding right there. We should let that sink in. Like, whoa, God, you see me that way? Without a single fault? <laughs> you know, we're so grateful for that. We should be. That salvation. 
that incredible thing that God has done for us because it was only because of God you and I could ever have that. And if we are a child of the living God, that is how he views us. Now, that scripture is not finished. I want you to know that there's a follow-up to that verse. Listen to what it says here. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But, there's a but next, right? You ready? You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news is being all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So here's what I want to say to you right now. Listen to it. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Dave, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. We are standing firmly in the truth of the redemptive plan of God, what God himself has done for us, and we're supposed to let the world know that he has done this. Because, see, I'm standing firm in that. I know who I was. I know how God views me now, and I know that I want to stand right firmly in the midst of how God views me. Not over there. Amen. Not the way I was, but the way God is. See, this salvation story is for you and I, and it's what God has done for us. And so God becoming human, living this life, paying for your sins and mine, is the opportunity for us to be changed, to have this relationship which is not available any other way. See, our salvation is a work of God. He does it. We accept it by faith, right? It's nothing you and I have done. It's nothing the church does for you. It's not like you get baptized and then you all of a sudden are given this. No, it's a gift God's given. You're baptized because you recognize God has done this for us and I'm saved. And therefore, I want the world to know that my old life is dead and I'm resurrected in Christ. The reason I'm pointing here is that's where our baptistry goes. All right, so here we are. We are set free because of what God has done for us. So now when it tells us you have to continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it, it's like, okay, so I'm going to accept what God says and how he sees me, and I am not going to move from that place. See, the enemy wants me to drift back over there where I used to be. But the word of God says you have to stand firmly in this way that God sees you. It's not what the world thinks. It's not what you think. It's what God says. And God says, I have redeemed you. I have saved you. You are mine. I have transformed you. You are no longer that. You are now this because of what I have done. And I'm going to stand firm in that faith. I am going to stand right there and not move. I don't want to be drifting away from that place. I want to stand in the grace and the love and the forgiveness of my God. Oh, man, the winds of the world try and blow us over here. They try and get us to step back and drift away. Listen to the word of God. Listen, do you know you're a child of God? Yes. Are you standing, standing firmly in that belief currently? I mean, are you like right there knowing that you are a child of the living God? Yes. Now, you don't have to answer this one. Have you been drifting? You know, when you're standing there, I mean, it's... It's like, you know, we kind of lose focus. We begin to look around, and we begin to see other things and other people and other ideas, like I was doing in that stadium. 
classifying other people and their walk and what that walk looked like to me instead of looking at what that walk really is by the way God says it is. It's such a beautiful thing when we do that. So, you know, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. It's the last book of the New Testament. It's the last of the anointed uh, word of God. And so as it was written, it was written in that time frame, uh, most historians would say in the 94 to 99 AD time frame. So we know that Jesus was, you know, in that 30 to 33 age bracket during his time because of the cultural things of the Hebrew people. The man is at 30, etc., and that's the ministry of Christ. And so as we look at time and we set the calendar accordingly, we look that the church was in existence for about 60 years at the time Revelation was written. And so on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, and the apostles and the gathering people in the upper room were filled by the Holy Spirit, they went out and preached Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ was born, and the followers of Christ began to assemble as the church, and there were meetings of people gathering, just like we are today and other churches are, all around, and the church was growing phenomenally. Some things were happening, right? So here's the message that Jesus gives to John to write to the churches. He writes the seven area churches in the province of Asia Minor, Asia in that whole region over there. Listen to what it says in Revelation 3. We're going to read one of those things, the message to the church. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, that you have a rep reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So pause, we're going to keep reading, but listen, this is Jesus, God, talking to his church. We're not talking about false faiths, right? We're not talking about the people that are wackos that are out there teaching something other than Jesus. That's not who we're addressing here. Jesus is talking to his church. The ones that say they're Christian and have the name of Christ and understand that Jesus died, resurrected, ascended, sent the Holy Spirit. We're talking about that church. We're all on the same page here, right? So we know what he's talking about. So here's what he says. You have a reputation for being alive. You are called Christian. You're followers of Christ. There is a reputation for that. That is that it's the living God that you are serving and therefore you are alive in Christ. But you're dead. So it doesn't matter what your reputation is. See, God sees his church and says, uh-uh, that's not the way it is. You're dead. That's pretty scary. We're going to keep reading. Listen, message from Jesus, right? Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. Have you ever seen someone on life support and that little thing there in the little monitor, there's a little heartbeat just like, doom, doom. that's exactly what he's saying right now about his church right here. He's like, there's just like this little tiny heartbeat that's left. Wake up. Get out of the coma that you're in. Like, get life back inside yourself. This is what it says now. Wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost that I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of God. <laughs> oh, so the way I live matters. 
Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold it firmly. What did we just read? Stand firm in it. Don't drift. Here's Jesus talking to church. He's like, go back to what you first believed. Do you remember when you were saved? You knew it was an act of God. You knew God entered you. You knew you were changed. He's like, go back to that. Jesus is like, go right there. Stay right there. Repent and turn to me again. Get back to that place. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. This is Jesus talking to his church. All right? So it's like, oh, Lord, there's a requirement that we are current and active in our faith and our relationship with God in that saving grace. Firm in that belief in the work that God has done in my life and yours. We've got to stay active in that. We don't simply have a story of once upon a time. We have a once upon a time moment. But see, from that moment, there should be a once upon a time story. And it's the story of God's redeeming grace that started once upon a time. Amen. If all you're talking about is once upon a time and there's no story, then there's no once upon a time. Because God does something and he transforms us and he tells us, hey, 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 if there's not a story following that up, Jesus said, you need to repent and get back there and start the story over. Because the actions need to conform accordingly to standing firm in the saving grace of God. Losing sight of everything else. It's all about him and you. That's what it's all about. Okay, we keep reading. Yet there are, that's the same scripture right there. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Amen. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? He's like, hey, to remain firm and active in your saving faith requires ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. This is a message to everyone. So he's saying to us, like, you've got to be attuned to the Holy Spirit. I need to know what he's saying. What's the Spirit leading us into in our lives? What is he saying to me currently? The reason that we ask those uh, accountability questions at the beginning, do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying? See, and it gets quiet right there, is because you see, it's critical that I know he's leading. Because if he's not leading, that means I'm leading. And if I'm leading, I already know where that goes. And it's not good. Right? So I need to make sure that I am staying in alignment with that firm foundation in the grace of God, and I'm living according to what he says, not what I think. Because if the Holy Spirit's not leading, then who are you following? You're following yourself. You're following people. You're following stuff. Why? We already know where that leads us. How would you know if you're drifting if you don't have the Holy Spirit convicting? Right? Stand firm. Don't drift. The only way we don't drift is when the Spirit says, uh-uh. Right? Come on, man. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit present to keep us in that standing firm and not drifting space. 
Let's read 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. It's not favorable right now. So what? It's still Jesus only. Church, it's still Jesus only. Whether it's favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. People are running around trying to find someone to affirm them where they are. You're never going to find an affirmation outside of the relationship through Jesus Christ with God alone. You're not. And people are just wanting to be like, I'm okay. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me what I'm doing is okay. Tell me you accept me. Let's be like this with everyone. Everybody just be your own self. No, yourself is the problem. You need to be changed, and that's why Jesus died, to give us the opportunity to change from the problem that we are to the redeeming grace that he wants to change and transform us into. Church, it's not okay to be who you are. We need to be who we are in Christ. Yes. Amen. That is not a favorable message. (laughs) So it's not about feeling okay about everything. All right, you are... In this thing with God, if you remain firmly in this thing with God. And it's according to his rules, not ours. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. The church can write something in to make you comfortable. If God didn't write it in, it's not written in. And it's deception and it's wrong. So here's what happened to me as I was pastor in the church. And, uh, and the elder gentleman, who was a very, you know, he's a, he was a godly man. So I'm not like discounting him. But he came and talked to me one day, and he was like, hey, um, don't preach negative-driven messages. And uh, when he said that, I was like, I, you know, taken back at first, like, okay, what does that mean? Like, in my mind, I'm like, negative-driven messages. And uh, I'm teachable. I want you to know I am. I want to learn. So I step back. I'm listening. Like, I'll listen to whatever and then go back and talk to God about it and see what needs to change in me. So he went on to tell me. He said, like, okay, so I'm a flight instructor. And he said, I I teach people. And as we're coming into a landing where we fly, there's a bush at the end, at the beginning of the the runway. And he said, if I tell them don't hit that bush, they all hit that bush. And the reason they hit that bush is because they've lost focus of the runway, and now they're focusing on the bush and they always hit it. And so he's like, you know, you need to stop doing the negative messages and begin to talk about the runway. And like all that made sense to me, right? Just like it does to you. I'm thinking like, okay, I get that. Uh, That makes sense. So I stepped back and I'm talking to the Lord about that. And the Lord reminded me about the Ten Commandments. And he said, thou shalt not. Seven of ten times. (laughs) And as I look at that and I was thinking, oh, wait a minute. So don't hit the bush was the message he wanted me to bring, like, go for the runway. And God was like, I want to talk to you about the bush because you have a problem. And seven of ten times, there's the problem and you're going into it, right? So it's important to say that thou shalt not because what I realized is once I had my children, I had to teach them no. And the reason I had to teach them no is because I wanted to put boundaries around them for their life. 
And if I said no, there was a reason I said no. So God said, thou shalt not, because he was like, I need to draw a line because I know you. And you're going outside the line every time because your flesh will take you there. And so I'm telling you, no, 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 no. Seven of ten times. So I was like, oh, I guess I shouldn't say that you gave a negative message when you gave your Ten Commandments, should I? So I want you to know that if you feel like you're being abused, then maybe you need some correction. And maybe what God's doing is, hey, I'm trying to put you in the boundaries that I gave you. And this is the boundaries that God says we all have to live in. And so the reason why a child has to hear the word no is because we have to curve their behavior into specific boundaries that we want them to live in. And so we're God's children. So he's like, I'm putting up the boundaries. Now, that doesn't mean he's forcing us to stay there. He's given them to us to understand this is what's required to have a relationship with me. You can go outside of that if you want. You can tell me no. You can walk away. But he's telling us, and right here, he's talking to the church, like, stay firm right there. Don't go outside of my boundaries. And here is freedom. And here is relationship. And here is salvation. Don't drift. I, I Stand firm inside of God's boundaries. Where God has said no, it's no. Stop trying to negotiate with him. Stop trying to get him to expand the boundaries for you. He's not going to. He's God. And he's given us the boundaries. And so I look at this and I'm like, man, God, you know, when I see these things and I think about it, the reason why the child learns the word no, and I know they say other words first, but I'm saying the word they learn from us is no, because we have to say it so often. We do, don't we? I mean, I, you should, parents, if you're not saying no, start, okay? <laughs> and we need to back up the no with some correction so that they know there's consequences to stepping outside the boundaries. That's what a little swat on the behind means, and I'm not promoting abuse. I'm saying a little swat on the behind, which a lot of kids have missed out on. I put them in a chair. Give them a I don't care what you do, but there's got to be consequences for not doing, I mean, for doing their thing instead of your direction. Same thing to grandparents. Okay? So now we follow this little child into its toddler years, and now it's beginning to have a vocabulary of its own. And it's starting to think for itself. And now you say to do something, and they're like, why? Where did that come from? You didn't teach them to question you with why. You never sat them down and say, ask me why. No, it comes out of them. Do you know why it comes out of them? Because, see, there's a self in there. And self is driven by sinful nature. And so it's like, why is testing your authority? Who do you think you are to tell me what I need to do and not do, right? That's what's happening. In case you don't, this isn't like psychology 101. I'm teaching us just life truth right now. So the kid doesn't have to be taught that. It comes out of them, and they're saying, why? And what is the first response we give to the we ones when they first say, why? Because I said so. We don't sit them down in a chair and logically explain something to them. I hope we don't. Not when they're little ones like this. And like, well, I want to tell you a story about when I was young and my dad took me outside in the woodshed and gave me a whooping and said, this is the reason. All right, no. We tell them no, because I said so. 
and it should be good enough. As they develop and mature, then they become a little bit more attuned to what is the reason for the, for the no. It's okay to ask why. I'm not saying never ask why, but I'm saying we don't reason with a child. So God has given us some boundaries, and some of us are children still, and God's just saying no, and you need to listen. Stop trying to negotiate where the Holy Spirit has already told you no. The answer is no. And it's because God said so. Deal with it. All right? Okay. Now, secondly, if you're in that a little bit later maturity and you're asking God why, I want you to know it's the same reason God said so. All right? Okay? And it's his truth. All right? So he's saying stay in my truth. Now, he says there's some boundaries that I've given you for a reason, right? Okay, here's something that he wants to share with us. Colossians 2, let's listen to this. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. So you hear that explanation? Here's the problem, it was you. And now you came to God and God did a surgery on you and cut away that you nature that was the problem. And he's made you alive in Christ. And now you're stepping into that truth that God has now changed me and who I was. And he forgave me for all that me back there, which is amazing. Listen to what it says. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah, man. He took all that for me. That's amazing. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Whoa. See, the world looks at the cross and sees shame. But he shamed our enemy. He shamed him and the fact that he had corrupted us with sin. And he brought us into this place where now we are set free. So the word of God says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you are eat or drink or not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Isn't that awesome, man? Woo, that's so good. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial of worship of angels or worship of angels saying they've had some visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rule may, rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help conquering a person's evil desires. Okay, so here's the truth of what God's saying to us. He's like, look, man, we're called to live the gospel. We're called to stand firmly in what God has done for us. And it's always somebody's trying to bring something in to add with Jesus. They're always trying to bring some of the Old Testament law and slide it in and say, oh no, you got to follow this. You got to do this too. There is no two. It's just Jesus only. All right? And so as we look at the word of God, we're not called to follow the, the, the law of Moses in the Old Testament. We're not called to follow the diet in the Old Testament. I know some people like, 
I know people follow that, the Baker's Diet book and different stuff like that. I just want you to know what God's Word says. All right, we did a devotion on that on Friday. Like, you can put anything in front of you to eat it and thank God for it. And by the prayer and the Word of God, it's made okay, right? I do that every night when I eat my Captain Crunch. Like, I'm not I don't feel one ounce of guilt about that. I just pray over it, thank God for it, and I eat it, and it's amazing. All right? I told my wife one day, I'm going to write a diet book. It's like the Captain Crunch diet. And uh, send it out and see how many people follow that. Because we just want to follow some kind of laws and rules, right? Thinking our life's going to change. The only way our life's going to change is by God changing our life. Period. I mean, it's like, come on, Lord, help us. We're not called to follow some of the law along with Christ. It says it right there. So there's people in the church that say, oh, no, you got to go to church on Saturday. I mean, I love you. But that just shows your immaturity because the Word of God says that's not what it's about. Okay, it's not. It's not about doing this or doing that. It's about standing firmly in the grace that God has given you and understanding that whatever the time is, whatever the day is that you have set aside, you have to set some time aside to be with God, to be with the family, to be part of the body. That's what he tells us. All right? So whatever it is, we got to do this. So we're called to live inside the boundaries that God has established, not us. So the law was given, and God's word says this, it was given to us to show how sinful we are and how unable we are to follow God's laws. And that we can't make ourselves holy. If we could follow the entire law, we would still be lost and know we're lost. So God said, There has to be a new covenant and a new way. And it's called the New Testament or new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ. And he's like, here it is. And Jesus said the whole fulfillment of the law. You want to know the meaning of the Old Testament? You want to know all about that? Here it is, Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's everything right there. Are you doing it? All right, see, that's what's living firmly in the truth of what God has said to us. It's the fulfillment of the entire law. He said so. Okay, so stop adding to it. First Timothy. We're going back there again. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. They're just showing how stupid they are. We try and add something to Jesus. It's like, man, come on. It's right there. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meanings of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Happens all the time, church. It does. People think they're so smart. They have this special revelation, and they're going to teach the church what it needs to be doing. God's Word already does that. It's not like God has given you some special knowledge that's not available to everybody. The Word of God is there. The Holy Spirit's available. It's right there in the Scriptures, and so it's right there. And so people want to bring out the Hebrew and the Greek meaning of words so that they can kind of bring people into their understanding of what God is seeing. Okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't look at the Hebrew and Greek, but remember this. When we translate languages into another language, so what the people that translate God's word do is they're looking at the whole, not just this one specific. Because a word can have multiple meanings depending on where it fits in the sentence or how it's used, right? So when they're looking at that translation to put that in there, there's the whole message of the gospel is taken into account to understand, like, this is what God is saying there and there, 
So this needs to be accommodating to that because this is God's word and we know it. Therefore, this word best fits into the fullness of the gospel. Oh, but I could grab that word and I could use one of these other meanings or possible interpretations and completely change it. And the word of God says, you know, that's just showing how stupid they are and what they're after. And what they're after is your wallet. Listen. Listen to what it says right here. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing into this world when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Man, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into a ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Drifted away. Why? Because they were after something that the world offered. They were after a following. They were after finances. They were after an image. They were after power. It's like just leading over here. And it's like, wait a minute. We're supposed to be standing firm in the grace and the love and following what God says, not what people think. See, it's all about Jesus and his teaching. And if it's not, it's false. You see, for there is salvation in no other church. There's no other way. There's no other name. There's nothing available to save us except Jesus Christ. And therefore, we stand firmly in that amazing, redeeming grace that God has provided for us in that truth, staying within the boundaries of His Word, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, right there in that saving faith, and live it. It's amazing. Come on, you know that. Just stay there. When the enemy's trying to get you to drift, he's going to always try and cause you to look at something different. Stay right here. All right, we're on our action steps. Do you know that you're a child of God? Isn't that amazing that God would make us his kids? That he would love us and say, I want a relationship with you, knowing us and seeing us as we are, and he still loves us. He is an amazing God. Are you standing firmly in your belief of salvation in Jesus Christ alone? Don't drift from that, church. Is there anything that the enemy's trying to do to get you to drift? Like the little wind of, he's trying to get you to drift away. Man, please stand firm. Don't give in to that little, the enemy's trying to get us to compromise, to step back, to go over. Stand firm, church. Would you stand with me right now? The altar's always open. I know we have some decorations. The church looks beautiful, but please don't let that keep you from the altar. Just come and kneel before him. Stand before him, whatever you need to do. You can sit in the front row if you're not able to kneel or if you don't want to stand. Just come. If the Holy Spirit's calling, please come. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the no's that you have placed in our lives. Thank you for the boundaries that you place to keep us free. And Lord, help us to be ever mindful of that in our lives. Thank you for the freedom that is right here inside of those boundaries, the amazing grace of God, so phenomenal. Thank you that you see us blameless. (laughs) Thank you, God. Thank you for your church.
the body of Christ. Help us to assemble and invite others to become part of your body. Such an incredible thing, God. We love you. Thank you for these moments we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for being here. You know that the altar is always open to you. May God bless you today. Thank you, Jesus.